Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's our goal here at Res Talk to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights about all the broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to all the stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you want to hear about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. We try to deliver them to you here at ResTalk. What does it take to start a conversation on smaller homes in a community that traditionally bans them? How can we collaborate to move conversations like this to reality? And what can be learned when a real-world project closely examines housing size, land area, and energy use through the lenses of charity and sustainability? On today's podcast, we have Spencer Fry, who is a state rep to House District 118 of the Georgia General Assembly, and he's also executive director for the Athens, Georgia area Habitat for Humanity. He's joined by Jeremy Field, who is VP of Operations at Emory Ratings, and they come to tell us about the background and execution of the kind of tiny house that was recently constructed in Athens, Georgia. Now, this house is a product of a design contest sponsored by SK Collaborative and the Atlanta branch of the USGBC, and it's an example of a greener home, but it's also meant to start a conversation in Athens about zoning codes, according to Spencer Fry. Now, listen in as we describe the details and learn about how this project came about, the impact it's had in the community, and the important role that the ResNet HERS rating process had in bringing this vision to fruition. So let's catch up with a conversation with Spencer and Jeremy about the kind of tiny house in Athens, Georgia. We're starting out with smiles on our faces, speaking with two new acquaintances for me, Spencer Fry and Jeremy Field. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon, Bill. Good afternoon. So we'll be talking today about a kind of tiny home, which I like it because it's sort of informal. And we're going to learn about what that tiny home is and how it relates to ResNet and the HERS rating, what's actually going on there. So first, I'd like you to introduce yourselves, and I'll ask Spencer to first introduce himself. Well, thank you, Bill. I'm Spencer Fry. I'm the Executive Director of Athens Area Habitat for Humanity. Been here I guess it's the start of my 24th year. It started out on a one-year mission to work and do good work in my own backyard. And here we are 24 years later. Wow. And you also have another role with your backyard, so to speak, right? Yeah, certainly. I'm the state representative for House District, current District 118. It will change to House District 122 in January, but also the licensed contractor for the affiliate as well. Wow. A busy man there. Jeremy, give us your background, please. Yeah, I'm Jeremy Field, the VP of Operations for Emory Ratings. We're a small custom home builder company under Emory Group. And the other side of our company performs third-party verifications of green building programs, such as Lead for Homes, which is why we're here today, Earthcraft, Multifamily, and Energy Star, Enterprise Green Communities, NHAB Green the ones that are associated with our local or our state low-income housing tax credits. And I've known Spencer for, I don't know, a couple of decades now, and I've even uh, volunteered on several of the local Habitats projects. Very good. 
So Spencer, tell me about the kind of tiny home or homes, I guess. Homes. Yes, that's right. There was a couple of them. The idea for the partnership with the organization, the U.S. Green Building Council, was hatched several years ago where we thought that it would be a great opportunity to partner and to show folks that we can create energy efficiency homes that were cost manageable by the folks that Habitat serves. Oftentimes, the energy efficiency costs are not able to be borne by the homeowners that need it the most. We have those conversations around solar, lead certification, and now currently the electric vehicles that seem to be popping up in a big way in the state. So we wanted to also, as an organization, we often try to create opportunities for awareness to potential policy changes within our municipal and state government. This is one of them. The idea that we have minimum house sizes in our code, which are vestiges of the reaction to the civil rights movement and the idea that certain people, certain communities of people wouldn't be able to afford a certain size home, which would basically regulate the individuals that were able to move into a neighborhood. Those codes are existing on our books across the state. It's my supposition that as athens Clark County, that we should not abide by a building code that was created in order to enforce segregation. And we can't build below a thousand square foot home in a single family area. Well, excuse me, let me rephrase that. We couldn't build a less than a thousand square foot home in a single family area before we started the project. The code has been changed where that home structure has been reduced to 600 square feet, but the particular houses that we were building were in a multifamily zoned parcel. Therefore, we could build down to 600 when we started the project. Since then, athens Clark County seems to have changed the code to where we can build to 600 square foot in a single family zone, but I would like to see that abolished. I think that for personal property rights, people should be able to build whatever they want to build on their land. Now, why do we say tiny? Because I think the definition of tiny would be about 400 or less. And so these being between 600 and 800, we had to come up with a better description. And that's where the kind of tiny came in. And it really is a way to bring awareness, and it has been able to bring awareness to these issues of housing and energy efficiency and house size to our community by that name. And my marketing guy and a couple of my managers came up with it. None of us can remember exactly who called it Tiny First, but it's cute. It is, and it's memorable, and I think it inspires curiosity. Yes, that's exactly right. I think people may know or think they know what tiny houses are, tiny homes are, but tiny, that's something different. I got to take a closer look. So excellent. Jeremy, you were involved with the process of rating these homes? Yes, I was involved from the beginning with uh, Spencer and our local group in order to take this project from dream to reality. And throughout the process, I was working strictly as a volunteer and we're helping from the design contest phase all the way through to the final completion. I am acting as the HERS rater for this particular project. Luis Emery and Matthew Anthony are 
the Lead for Homes Green Raiders. Luis is the owner of our company, Emory Ratings, and Matthew is a former employee of ours, but still holds this project in high regard and is helping us get across the finish line, hopefully soon. So throughout the process, we decided to go the performance path route in the Lead for Homes programs, which gives you two options. You can either do the HERS index, meeting or exceeding the Energy Star target HERS index per home, or you can go the lead budget route. So as we're working with partners and volunteers and people that are looking to donate items, we bounced around a lot with our HERS index and the lead budget calculator and finally rounded out to a 195 New Hope Drive actually has a confirmed HERS index of eight and 190 New Hope Drive has a zero HERS index. And that's obviously, we maximized a lot of the minimum rated features for the homes themselves. But to get that low, you have to have some photovoltaic or some sort of renewables. And that's, we're able to maximize the rooftop area for that. One home just has a little bit more shade than the other. So we're not producing as much solar power usage there, but it's been an interesting process for sure. That's great. I have a link to an article from flagpole.com, which I'll put in the show notes, and it gives a picture of at least the front of the two homes there. And what particular, I'll stick with you, Jeremy, for a little bit here, any particular details? And it's also great you got involved early. That's the whole concept behind hers. Rating really should be working with the architect and the builder to optimize things to the desire of the client. So that's fantastic that you brought that about in this case. Any particular features you want to call out, one or two features that allowed you to get there? You mentioned solar already. So any other features? Sure. We had the advanced framing techniques along with two by six walls on the exterior and had a, it's really considered a vaulted ceiling. I believe the roof deck was insulated with spray foam insulation at a very robust depth. I can't remember the R value there, but we're up in the R value in the ceiling or roof deck. And if the Crawl space was also sealed and insulated as well as R7 on the foundation walls. And we also utilized ductless mini splits with a very high sear rating and HSPF. So those are a few of the features. Spencer, in what time frame did the, all this come together? We went from concept, the timeline from concept to reality and was supply chain an issue at all? Well, certainly the concept to the groundbreaking took a minute. We have to, once we come up with a plan and a partnership, we have to raise the funds for the projects and select the homeowners that need housing. One thing that's important to point out is we do not build spec houses. We actually fulfill an existing need within our community. And so our selection process is a very rigid process. The homeowners have to get 500 hours of service through volunteering on other people's homes or at our restores and then eventually on their own site. So the process itself is pretty long. We held a contest. I'm going to go a little bit further into detail for you, if that's okay. Please. We held a design contest. That was a regional design contest and had a sponsor for the prize money and really got some incredible designs that a group of folks got together and awarded two winners of the design contest. And we allowed our homeowners to choose one of the designs and they chose the same design which is fine. We just make them look a little different. But all we had from that was a floor plan and the drawings that they had given us, the renderings. And so there was the classic architect versus builder on site where we're look, I'm looking at a picture and I'm saying, okay, well, 
how are we going to attach that to this and whatnot? So we had to make a lot of changes on the fly, but we got the house framed up with volunteers on this specific project. I was actually out there running the framing crew. We got it all. They looked beautiful. They were dried in and then COVID hit. And so we were unable to continue working for a little while. And although the governor allowed construction industries to maintain their work, Habitat International advised us not to. And so we had about 18 months without volunteers and we're still trying to catch up from that downtime and finishing the needs that we were working on before COVID hit, but then also trying to finish the needs that were brought to us during COVID. And so we partnered with a group out of Athens called Timberbuilt, who has worked with Jeremy a lot and We knew that they had a lot of experience with energy efficient homes, as well as LEED certification, and we were able to finish those up. Earlier this year, they cost a little more than obviously building with a bunch of volunteers, but it still is going to be at a price point that we're able to pass along 100% of the savings to our homeowners in those homes. And we dedicated them. Goodness, when was that dedication, Jeremy? The dates fly away from me these days. I can't recall the dates, but it was three or four months ago. So sometime early summer. Yeah. And so we're able to finish them up and get through our city inspections and the places are amazing. They look beautiful. And we're going to repeat this project several times again, because it was such a fulfilling opportunity to show that we can build a cost manageable home that's energy efficient. And again, pass along those savings to our customers that may not have the expendable income to do the things that we were able to do on this. That's a fantastic story. And the energy efficiency there is documented by the HERS rating that Jeremy was involved with. Can either of you speak towards having been inside the house? What's it like? What's it feel like to be inside these houses? Do they feel any different? I think they feel very different than your normal code-built house for sure. But then also the feeling of seeing somebody that knows that they're going from a place where they were struggling to pay power bills and water bills to a place now where it's not only going to be affordable, it's going to help their bottom line. The cost for annual energy bills are under $200, which I think is just absolutely incredible. That's the total? Yes. That certainly includes the solar, but I don't even pay that less a month at my <laughs> where I am. Are these dual fuel type homes or you'd mentioned mini splits for air conditioning is also for heating? They're all electric. In our climate zone, climate zone three and uh, even climate zone four here in Georgia, we're going with all electric just about everywhere now unless there's an existing system for a rehab type project. It's just hard to change fuels, but the heat pumps have gotten so efficient here that they, especially if you're going to go with solar, you would want to stick with all electric. Spencer, is this, obviously it's attracted attention because you're talking on the Res Talk podcast, right? Sure. <laughs> is this attractive? Oh, this has gotten more attention than I thought it would. <laughs> yeah. Have you gotten inquiries or attention anywhere else besides Res Talk? Certainly, this is, if you Google the words kind of tiny house or kind of tiny home, I think you'll see that we've got at least a page and a half, if not two pages, full up on Google for that term. Now, granted, that's a term not used often, but hopefully we can make it a regular word. It's kind of like the missing middle is actually what needs to be talked about when we say tiny homes. So it has attracted a lot of attention. I think one thing to note is that, especially for your listeners who may not be familiar with our program, because Jeremy indicated that folks struggling with their power bills and their water bills, 
And yes, that's the case. And I want to make sure that our listeners understand that we build homes for hardworking folks that make good decisions. They have jobs. They have great landlord references. But in Athens, Georgia, we have one of the, I figure we're ground zero for the housing crisis because we have an artificially inflated housing price. And when the median home price in Athens in 21, in January 21 was 230000 and then it jumped up to January 22 to 350000 you can see that we have not only one of the lowest home ownership rates in the state or nation, but it's the rental aspect of our community is artificially inflated because of our student population. Almost 40,000 individuals coming in town and the 90% of them would be transient looking for a place to rent rather than buy a home. So our customers are hardworking folks. They've got income. They've got decent credit. They literally just can't afford the dirt in athens Clark County. Those are my customers. Exploring this a little further with the three roles you've mentioned here as contractor, state representative, and executive director, which one of these drew you into the other, or did they all happen at once? No, that's a great question. No, as I said earlier at the beginning, that this was a one-year mission. I had sold an environmental company that I had started. I was dabbling in remodels with a buddy of mine, but mostly fishing. And then my girlfriend said, hey, Habitat is looking to hire their first construction manager. And I said, I've done mission work in the past. I lived in the Caribbean for a little while. And I felt like this was a moment that I had to face because two people that weren't related to me helped me buy my home. And I knew that I needed to answer the call. I felt like this was God calling me saying, hey, look, somebody helped you. Now you can help somebody else. And so I said, okay, that's cool. I didn't want to end up in belly of a whale or anything. So I, I said, sure, I'll do it. And six weeks later, my executive director quit. And I looked at my office manager and it was just us two because there were three employees, but then there was two. And I said, well, what do we do? And she said, I guess you pull a building permit. And so that's when it all started. After that first year, I knew I was going to leave. I was trying to set up another company, but I really just felt drawn to the work and realizing that this is an incredible opportunity to what I consider righting the wrongs of the past and the failed federal policies of redlining, high density, low income housing, the whole nine yards that we've experienced through our lifetimes. And here I am 24 years later. But what this did is gave me an opportunity. I was already advocating it within the government, within our local municipality, as well as state level. And it really came down to a point where folks were asking me to run for an office. I really never thought that I would. And being elected to the state house in 2012, sworn in in 2013, has been an incredible opportunity for me to be a voice in the state about the cost of housing. And if you can see over the years, some of the policies that we've been able to push through the last decade have not only helped Habitat affiliates around the state of Georgia, but also the customers that we serve have been increased by the policies that I've been able to advocate for on a state level and on a municipal level. And that's been an incredible opportunity. So basically, I just got a bigger bully pulpit to talk from, right? <laughs> and that was my goal. When I say I ran for this position as a state representative in Georgia, 
I ran in order to be an advocate and a voice for the people that I was already serving. And it's just an incredible opportunity to do that. I feel very blessed and thankful for it. That sounds like tremendous synergy and a rewarding thing you've done there. It is. I really do feel like I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. That's no lie. Backing up a little bit, you used a term in there, missing middle. Could you define that? It's a pretty new term that somebody came up with that was smarter than me. But the missing middle is kind of that housing that I think you would look at like a first-time home buyer all the way up to somebody that's less established, but still there's a range there in the middle because there's a way you figure our college graduates right now are not going to be able to afford a home in the state of Georgia. And I don't think there's any entry-level position that you get when you're 22 years old that allows you to buy a home for $350,000. And if there is, it's only a couple. And so the missing middle would be concepts like duplexes in a single family neighborhood. So that would be allowing what's defined as a multifamily unit within a single family neighborhood, increasing the density, making the houses a little smaller than we've gotten up to, and building communities where people can manage their living costs. What's important about that is, and we see it in a study we did with our own homeowners, we have about 8,000 houses around the state of Georgia that were built by Habitat for Humanity. We're the 15th largest builder in the nation during a good economy. When it crashed, we got in the top five. I like staying around the top 15 and 10 to 15. That means the economy's going great. The benefits from focusing on cost-manageable housing for everyone is a community and statewide and nationwide benefit in that if you have people that are not looking for chasing rent, the lowest rent, they're not facing increases in their rent by landlords if they choose to stay, their kids are able to stay in the same school district, there's tons of extra benefits that I just described, and there's a million more, like it frees up income. If you can budget for the year, you know exactly what your paycheck is. And I haven't studied this, but my supposition would be almost 100% of that money that families free up in the missing middle housing is spent probably within five miles of those front doors. Because those families aren't like packing up and going to Aruba for vacation. They're literally trying to pay their rent, their mortgage, their fuel costs, everything, budget, their kids going to school, you stabilize housing, all of a sudden at the end of the day, you got extra money in your pocket. And you're like, whoa, guess what? Those are going to backpacks, healthcare, transmissions, more food, better food. The benefits are just a ripple effect throughout the economy because if you have a family that's stabilized, all of a sudden they're not worried about stabilizing themselves. So what can they do? They go out and they get better education. And so our study that we did with uh, Kennesaw State and Georgia Tech shows that 90% of our kids instantly, their parents reported 90% of them did instantly did better in school. 80% of the families said that they could save more money. And then 70% of came off of or reduced all forms of public assistance. And so the idea of the missing middle is the idea of a cost manageable set of places where people can live without worrying about the rest of the month, where their money is going to go. Because if you're always doing that, you can't make yourself better. If you're always worried about your rent, you can't 
potentially go to school because you're always focused on trying to pay that rent that you know your landlord's going to raise the next year. And so it's just an amazing opportunity for us to look at as a focus on as a state and a nation, getting people in stable housing, no matter what that looks like. And I think that's where the missing middle term comes from. It's probably a much better definition. And I know I got sidetracked because I get passionate about this. It's you do get passionate. <laughs> Respect for your passion. I get the concept of lessening worry reinforces community fabric. I think that's a succinct way of stating that the impact of these kind of things. And a lot of it is the energy bill. Again, going back to the rating, I want to turn it back over to Jeremy for a second and talk about maybe the impact this has had at the Emory Group. Has this changed any kind of outlook or engagement or methods that you use? So at Emory, the impact for us is being able to participate in a project that is here local and that it can actually have an influence on the rest of our projects that we have going on throughout the Southeast, where we're helping developers and builders be able to build a little bit better, build a little bit more efficient, and to be able to help the end users be able to enjoy those things that Spencer was just talking about is this, instead of having to worry about where the next paycheck is going to have to go to energy bills. Very good. Now, Spencer, you seem to be aware of these kind of programs. Is anything else going on like this elsewhere in the country? Anything that you know of? Look, you hit me on my weak spot because I really love to be the first person to do stuff. <laughs> and to try to push the innovation envelope. And so I don't know of anybody else that's built a kind of tiny home and called it a kind of tiny home. I'm sure there's some 600, 700 square foot houses out there. But in Athens, it's significant, significant in the idea that we wanted to show that the cost manageable aspects of energy efficiency are attainable, even at what is perceived as the lowest cost housing home ownership out there. And these two homes, although they were built with specific individuals in mind, are the first lead homes available for sale in Athens, Georgia. We have one other lead home that we're all aware of, and that was built by an architect for herself. So I think the enjoyment of being able to say that our lowest level of home ownership in Athens, Georgia is the one that did the highest level of energy efficiency in the city. I love that. So I can tell you, at least locally and regionally, I don't believe people have caught on to this yet, but it is feasible. And that's what we want to do is lead by example and show that this can be done. And somebody can prove me wrong if there's a lower HERS index in athens Clark County. I do not believe it's there, but we'll go ahead and say it is. Zero is the lowest in Clark County unless somebody can prove me wrong. If someone listening wants to try this, what kind of advice do you have? And I'll turn that one over to Spencer. So there's a couple of different things that are important that I learned throughout this process. First off, if you say you're going to do it, you just got to do it no matter what. And I would even encourage some of the listeners to study this and try it because I think the overall benefits of energy efficiency for anybody and the way we are building now versus the way we should be building would be a much more sustainable construction techniques that we need to utilize those construction techniques that are 
sustainable rather than continuing down the path that we've continued down for decades. The other thing is you're going to learn some new stuff. Like I've been building for 20 some odd years and just be open-minded. And that's really important. I think the last thing I learned was that the documentation of the lead certification process will seem arduous, but push through it. I had to take pictures of me speaking to every volunteer, explaining the same project over and over again, and with my subcontractors. If you've ever tried to stand around with a couple of plumbers that aren't the guy that you spoke to to get them out to the job site, they're just a couple of field guys, and say, okay, before you start working, it's my job to explain what we're doing here, and I need to take a picture of me explaining this to you. And that stuff is not normal on a build site, but it's important to get the word out. The other thing that was really interesting is the recycling we did on the job, which we already are vociferous recyclers, but we had our sheetrock separated from our bottles, plastic separated, everything was separated. We had burn wood that we could give for fuel to folks that I know that only have fireplaces for heating. And then we separated that from the green wood that we used for some of the deck construction. And it was amazing. And I love it. And I really did enjoy the process. So I would encourage your listeners to get involved in construction like this, because it's the way we're going to make, if we can stop it, now's the time to start stopping climate change. Even though we hadn't been doing a good job so far, this would be ways to do it. Got it. Are you open to contact from listeners? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Spencer at AthensHabitat.com. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R at AthensHabitat.com. Very good. Any closing thoughts for you, Jeremy? Yeah, I would just say that going back to your last question that where do you start if you've not done this? And the obvious thing is to get a HERS rating. Start with a HERS rating to set your baseline, set your benchmark and go from there for improvement. And in that same token, try have a look at the program. It can look daunting in the lead program can look daunting. Even a HERS rating can look daunting at first, but you get past the rough exterior and you realize that it is good and it is needed in order to combat climate change. And you need to have a good team. You have people that have bought into it and, quote unquote, drank the Kool-Aid and to be able to support each other and to get through the process. Very good. Well, thank you both for joining us here in Res Talk to discuss this important project. And I look forward to seeing more great work from the two of you independently and together, perhaps. Yeah, my pleasure, Bill. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk podcast. We hope you learned a couple things about the kind of tiny Habitat House project in Athens, Georgia, and took away some good lessons. We have some great links in the show notes. Quote for today by Deb Holland, U.S. Secretary of the Interior. We must shift our thinking away from short-term gain toward long-term investment and sustainability and always have the next generations in mind with every decision we make. If you're interested in feeding back to ResNet on what you heard here today or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. And if you've not subscribed, please do so. And as always, thank you for listening to ResTalk. Take care. Thanks for listening to the ResTalk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spone and is a production of ResNet the Residential Energy Services Network. 
The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for Res Talk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on Res Talk. <laughs>